Topic of our Dhammatagatan you know, this evening is Satna Effort Viriya Part 1. And Satna later on in the week, Satna Part 2 will hopefully follow. Now, as uh, in, by way of an introduction to uh, this Satna topic, allow me to. Um, begin with an illustration. Let us say you are the owner of a house and you're living in a beautiful house that is located uh, right on the bank of a you know, rather extensive or expansive you know, lake and behind and around you know, your you know, house is a deep forest deep, deep forest, and it's somewhere here in uh, now the U.S. Now, and could be this time of the year, or it could be July. And it so happens that a big forest fire starts. Could be because of some natural reasons, could also be you know, because of some mm, um, uh, negligence or whatever. Now, you live in this house and certainly very soon you realize that certainly there is a massive forest fire in your backyard. You realize that you don't have much time. There is no chance to get into your car and drive away because certainly the access road is already affected by the fire. So what do you do? You jump into the lake. Yes, Satna Joanna, that's indeed what you might Satna do. But since your lake is pretty expansive, you might realize, well, swimming all across, I might not Satna manage to do this. And you remember that Satna, you have a float or a raft somewhere. So you grab that and Satna, then you indeed jump into your lake. So you get onto the raft, and uh, you know, the forest fire is uh, uh, unrelenting. It's getting you know, closer and closer you know, to your house. The heat uh, wave is just unimaginable, and certainly uh, you have only one idea in your in, in your mind, namely get to the other side. By me. To get to the other side. <laughs> to get uh, to the other side, to get out of the, uh, get uh, away from it as quickly as possible. So you lie on your uh, raft, you've got two hands, you've got two uh, legs, and what do you do? Huh? You paddle. You paddle as much as you can. You paddle for your uh, life. And so, uh, since the forest fire is still uh, not certainly giving in and uh, uh, you know, the heat wave uh, can be felt uh, even you know, to the at least the middle of uh, the lake, you might certainly want to paddle quite a bit and you might want to use uh, which mental factor or you might want to ha you might have which mental factor effort. There you go. And plenty of it. 
And since the forest fire is so huge and the heat of it is tremendous, there's only one possibility. Your effort has to be sustained. It has to be continuous. Now, this certain illustration might give you a general sense of what effort is all about. It's this energy that we put into an activity, namely going, in the case of our illustration, moving away from the shore that is beset by a danger, namely in the form of the fire, and then as quickly as possible you want to get to the other shore, which is safe and free from danger. Now, Our meditation practice has anything to do with this illustration or not? Does it? Yes? No? A lot even. So, you can think of yourselves as lying on that raft and paddling with full force, trying to get away from this dangerous certain shore and trying to reach the other shore. Now, in this certain illustration, the raft could be understood to be nothing other than the Dhamma. There you go. That is correct. Now, what we shall do is, in the course of this Dhamma talk, first Dhamma talk on effort, first look at its etymology, or the etymology involved, and then briefly mention a few other similes that the Buddha has used, and and then you know, say something about certain you know, the qualities, the nature of certain you know, effort. Then you know, look at certain you know, at least two you know, definitions of certain you know, effort, and certain you know, this will be followed you know, by a brief you know, exploration of certain you know, the mental factor of viriya in the context of certain you know, the abhidhamma. Then. You know, how or, or uh, uh, when and where uh, does effort occur in our meditation practice will also uh, be explored. And certainly uh, then uh, some uh, examples of uh, effort as certainly given in the text will be briefly mentioned and certainly uh, then uh, a few words will come. Uh, about uh, or towards the end about balancing of effort. Now, the Pali term viriya is certainly closely related to you know, the Sanskrit word virya with a long i. And in Sanskrit, in 
um, the Vedic tradition, the term Virya is oftentimes uh, associated with um, her, uh, heroism and certainly then with virility. If we look at certain of the Pali term Virya, this certainly then is related to, to the Pali word vir, viro, which means oh sorry, vira, which means certainly hero. Now the literal translation of Fertner, this certain term Virya is a state of a strong man or manliness. Obviously, this certainly should certainly be, uh, this term manliness should be adjusted according to gender. Now, Buddhaghosa has certainly defined it as a state of an energetic person and also as the action of certainly the energetic. The terms that are usually related certainly to uh, effort will be explained certainly in a, a little while. Before you know, doing this, allow me you know, to give you, you know, some of you know, the imagery that certainly the Buddha has certainly used to bring about certainly the nature of certainly, uh, virya, uh, effort. There is in one discourse effort is compared to the wheel of chariot or to a beast of burden that moves towards security from bondage without turning back. And probably this beast of burden will then run as fast as it can. Now, there is uh, a discourse in uh, the text entitled in English as uh, the um, discourse on the thoroughbred, the so-called Arjaniya Sutta, and uh, their uh, effort is uh, compared to um, one out of four qualities of uh, a thoroughbred, namely that of strength. And certainly here, yeah, then that strength stands for yeah, strength of character. 
Now, the main aspects, and there are other aspects with regard to uh, effort, is certain really its function of uh, then moving or exerting effort and certain then moving away from the cycle of birth and certain death towards a state of liberation. As can be seen from this already, this kind of effort is of a very particular nature. It is certain it occurs in particular in connection with the spiritual practice. Now, the Dhammasangani is an Abhidhamma work and it's very useful to consult when it comes to various or definitions of main Abhidhamma terms. And so the Dhammasangani usually defines by way of synonyms, by way of words that the Buddha has used with regard to effort or mindfulness or whatever the term might certainly be. So the Buddha has certainly spoken about certain effort in on many occasions. This is recorded in many different certain places, and according to circumstances, he would use certain somewhat different language. So effort has the Buddha has spoken of it as mental endeavor, Chetasiko Viriya Arambo in the Pali scriptural language. Also, as riddance of getting rid of lethargy. And in Pali, we have the word Parakama, which translates as Satna trying harder and Satna harder which is uh, an aspect of effort that Satna definitely will apply to our meditation practice. Now, in our mindfulness practice, we don't, if we get Satna, let's say, to a particular place in the practice where it feels quite rewarding, feels quite certainly pleasant, then we should not certainly be, should not rest certainly contented with this, but rather go on and thus endeavor high for higher and higher forms of intuitive knowledge. This in part is known as niyamo. Now, steadfastness, resoluteness, unfaltering endeavor, utmost exertion, not relinquishing the task, a desire, a sustained desire to strive, 
then discharging the task well, all of these and other terms are or have been used by the Buddha to express this or that aspect of effort. Now, the Visuddhimanga, the path of Fatna purification that was compiled by Acharya, Buddha Gosa gives Satna the following fourfold classical definition. And he says that the characteristic of Fatna mindfulness is supporting exertion and marshalling. The Venerable Sadhupanita Bhimams of Burma puts it in the following words, namely, forbearance in the face of suffering or difficulty. Now, when we do Nivapasana practice, it's not always certainly easy. There are tight spots along the way. Yeah, there are you know, times when you know, we have to deal with you know, some predominant pain. We have to deal you know, with some you know, difficult you know, mental states. And so when having to you know, face, let us say, an intense pain over a longer period of time, and then at first the mind might be able to you know, do this and uh, to you continue to observe and to know you know, this, uh, the, you know the qualities of this particular object, but sooner or later the mind is likely to wither, so it loses its mental strength. And it is in this certain particular situation that then effort is required and its function is to support the associated mental states so that one then can continue to observe the respective object of observation. So in the absence of a boost of effort, the mind is likely, the observing and knowing mind is likely to collapse. In the presence of Fatna effort, however, this situation gets turned around, and thus the manifestation of effort is traditionally given as non-collapse of the mind. And the proximate causes for the arising of effort comes in the form of a a sense of urgency or any ground for the arousing of energy. And during our second talk on effort, the much emphasis will be placed on the development of effort. So once effort has arisen, how do we um, or how do we bring about effort and how you know, do we you know, strengthen it? Now, 
terms, modern terms that have been mm, suggested for uh, effort are energy, exertion, and certainly also persistence, persevering, mm, being persevering, vigor, and certainly as well as certain courage. Now, if we try to you know, find a definition of our you know, own, then mm, effort is the, or viria is, the exertion of energy, exertion of effort in the course of one's sudden spiritual practice, to move from a state of defilement of mind towards a state of purification of mind and to a state of liberation. And in doing so, paying much attention to the balance of, or ensuring the balance of effort and so, uh, this thing requiring wise attention. Now, when we look at certain effort, certain, the mental factor of effort as certain one of you know, the factors that the, the Abhidhamma you know, describes, you know, then you know, we can, we will immediately note, we might certainly immediately you know, notice an interesting aspect. Without much understanding of the Abhidhamma, one might certainly think of you know, effort you know, that certain, this certain mental factor is a wholesome mental factor. But, at least from a Theravada point of view, it is not. But rather, it certainly is certainly categorized as one of the six occasionals, the so-called Pakinakas. Mm, occasionals in the sense of ethical ethically variable mental states. So what this means is that a mental state, and Virya being one of them, could at times be of an ethically wholesome quality, at other times could also be ethically unwholesome, depending on the consciousness that it arises with, as well as certainly the remaining mental factors. So the Pani, or effort, if we look at it from an Abhidhamma point of view, could be of a wholesome quality, could also be of an unwholesome quality. Now, if you think of a burglar who is intent on breaking into you know, some 
posh mansion will need what? Effort. Will need effort, namely to climb across the boundary wall. Might need effort to climb onto the roof of Fatna the house. And Satna then might need effort to climb through an open window uh, in the roof into the house and then to grab whatever seems valuable and interesting. But the effort that we are involved uh, with is of the same nature, is of the nature of a a burglar trying to uh, uh, grab as many things, uh, steal as many things as possible? Obviously not. Therefore, it becomes clear that effort, depending on circumstances, and as mentioned, depending on the state of consciousness, could be wholesome at times, could be unwholesome. The effort, for the most part, that we are concerned with is a wholesome type of effort if it is directed towards liberation. However, if we sit in meditation and our mind then engages in plotting, let's say, some crimes after retreat, the retreat is over, I would say this is clearly not an unwholesome, this is clearly an unwholesome form of effort. Now, effort does arise together with consciousness that is rooted in greed, hatred, and delusion, and also together with sense fear, wholesome sense fear resultant, and sense fear functional. You know, consciousness, as well as all of the jhanas and the four path knowledges and fru- no, fruition uh, knowledges. Now, in connection with Abhidhamma, but also from a very experiential, meditational point of view, it's worth looking at its qualities, what actually it does in the practice. Now, the Venerable Sadhu Pandita Bhivams of Burma explains that Effort for the most part distances the mental defilements, it blocks unwholesomeness, it it keeps them away. Now, different from this, when it comes to mindfulness, it faces an object of observation, and certainly in particular with regard to unwholesome mental states, it protects certainly the mind from those unwholesome states. Now, when it comes to concentration samadhi, it has 
Oh, oh, it is known both in our you know, practice as well as certainly in the text you know, to suppress certain you know, the hindrances. Now, how then do we experience effort in our own meditation practice? Namely, as patient endurance of difficulties, difficulties such as itches that might arise, such as restlessness, Various movements of the body, we try to sit still, but we can't. So to endure those impulses to move, then sticking out certain various pains, unpleasant sensations such as hardness, pressure, heat in the buttocks or stiffness in the back. Then patiently enduring the consequent or the impact of you know, the hindrances, such as or in the form of exhaustion, of sloth and torpor, of you know, restlessness. Then having practiced quite a bit and developed one's certain meditation to a high level of insight knowledge and suddenly then unfortunately owing to some lack of or a lapse in mindfulness then one's practice collapses and one has to build it up all over again and it may take even several days and then having done so finally getting back to where one's practice was at earlier on after maybe a couple after a couple of hours again one is not really diligent and suddenly once again a lapse in one's mindfulness occurs and one's practice collapses for a second time it takes much effort it takes patient endurance to put up with this um, or pattern of uh, the mind and pattern in our uh, practice. Now, it also uh, takes uh, uh, patient endurance in uh, trying to find just the right balance uh, in terms of effort. So, to ensure that one's certain effort is neither excessive nor uh, uh, deficient. And at times, certain our effort will be excessive, and certain then we'll have to deal with the results of this, and at other times, the effort will be lacking, and certain this thing might lead to sloth and certain torpor. So, in both cases, we'll realize that this doesn't work. Now, even though we may have the greatest intention at the beginning of our sitting to keep the mind alert and awake, yet it does not necessarily happen like this. 
and uh, we might find ourselves falling into a state of semi-consciousness. And once we're in that state, we might be stuck in it for a minute or two or even longer. And trying to get out of it isn't all that easy. So, now, when this eventually, you know, you know, that semi-conscious state will subside, and uh, now, then our mm, mental alertness will, uh, uh, will regain that mental alertness, yet you know, sooner or later we might drop into that same sem semi-conscious state again. And so, if this happens many times, it clearly requires patient endurance. Just patiently enduring you know, with all these different patterns that you know, lie you know, um, or, or that suddenly come up you know, in the course of our you know, meditation. Now, when it comes to straightforward the sloth and torpor, it's certainly the same you know, thing. It's not a pleasant state certainly to be in and certainly to deal with on or effort that is approaching is not necessarily pleasant. And so this certainly then requires much certain patient endurance. Now, with regard certainly to our sitting posture, at times we might certainly find that even though the intention is there to keep the body as upright as possible, yet what really happens in the practice might be a different thing. And certainly we might certainly find how we might find certainly the body slumping, and certainly this thing requires certainly an adjustment of the posture. And then soon, again, the body will slump, and again, we need to adjust. And this may happen many times. Now, it's not only that certain effort is required with regard to difficult experiences, but effort might certainly also be experienced as a real strength. Namely, at certain points in our practice, we might certainly notice a real increase in energy. We have more energy available, and more so than, than before, and then we find to sit for an hour is no big problem, and easily we can extend our sitting to an hour and a half, or two hours, or much more than this. We might further find that towards the end of the last sitting of the day, we still have plenty of energy left, everyone else goes back to the room and certainly we can't even, or we don't even want to think about certainly sleeping and certainly then simply continue you know, to practice sitting, walking, sitting, uh, walking. 
Now, we might certainly further find that despite of having practiced deep into you know, the, or late into you know, the night and certainly, you know, and yet at next certain morning we uh, wake up at certain, you know, the usual time and the mind is certain, quite refreshed and certain, you know, the body um, uh, well rested. So these are some of certain, you know, the ways how we might experience effort in our practice. Effort that is needed with regard to overcoming difficult experiences as well and with regard to those patient endurances that needed and for the other cases we just or effort will do its work. Before talking about certain more general aspects related certain to effort, allow me to continue to mention aspects that are directly related to our meditation practice. Now, we have the Satipatthana Sutta, the discourse on the establishment of mindfulness. And does it contain anything on effort? Is there any instruction there or not? Just the word ardent. Ah, there you go. Indeed, the word ata, be ardent satna energy or ardent effort. You might satna recall. Here, a retreat in dwells, contemplating the body in the body, ardent, clearly comprehending, having removed covetousness and discontent in regard to the world. So, this certain word, atapi, obviously is not the same as viriya, yet in terms of its essence, both are equal. Both are pretty much the same. Now, the Satipatthana Sutta clearly states that in doing mindfulness practice, we do need mindfulness, However, this mindfulness needs to be accompanied by other factors such as clear comprehension as well as satna by ardent energy. And it goes without saying that this satna, ardent satna energy then needs to be of a well-balanced satna nature. Now, the Pali term atapa, which is the noun for ardent energy, can be traced back to the noun tapash in Sanskrit, and this meaning self-mortification and ascetic practices. However, the Buddha's idea of atapa was not quite the same was for sure not mm, indulging in self-mortification or anything uh, related to it. 
but rather an ardent energy that is directed at burning up and consuming the mental defilements as they arise in the stream of Satya consciousness. The Visuddhimagga explains Satya this particular aspect as, or explains Atapi as you know, possessing energy in the sense of uh, um, an energy that Satya is directed towards Satya, the burning up and the consuming of mental defilements. Now, at the time of Satya, the Buddha, as well as until you know, today, there are there were and certainly still are plenty of certain ascetics in the Vedic tradition who, mm, who are of the opinion that engaging in practices of asceticism, of self-mortification, is the way to liberation. And such ascetics typically would uh, maybe stay really close to uh, a burning uh, fire or uh, would uh, uh, then stand up uh, for um, or remain in a standing posture for uh, many hours, certainly uh, no not stop, or it might be sleeping on glass certain shirts or walking across certain glass shirts and walking around certain naked dipping in dipping in and staying in ice cold certain water over long periods of time and hanging themselves up from the branch of a tree uh, revolving uh, in Lumbini, we've uh, seen uh, someone who, uh, uh, in an upright certain uh, posture, keeps uh, revolving, keeps uh, turning his body around and around and around and around, thousands of fatna uh, times in a day and uh, day after day. It's considered as a form of you know, spiritual uh, practice. So. The Buddha himself engaged, uh, did engage, uh, or the Bodhisatta, to be more precise, did engage in ascetic practices. He did uh, you know, eat very little, you know, go without uh, sleep and uh, the like, and eventually he realized you know, that uh, this path was not fruitful. It did not lead him you know, to liberation and eventually he did one he gave up on it he gave up on it and suddenly realized that realizing that more important than these ascetic curtain practices is um, the effort with certain regard certain to mental development and keeping the mind free from mental defilements. So he then characterized this or defined this as a true 
new form of uh, uh, ardent energy or effort. Which obviously is certainly quite different from the Vedic notion. Now, in our meditation practice, we will be experiencing, or we will experience effort throughout, and we also need to exert effort, and the various aspects of effort have been described in different ways. Now, in the end, they all boil down to one of the same thing, namely effort. But one of these categories is as follows, namely an initial effort that is required to get started or to get established in one's practice. And this is known as Aramba Nadatu in the Pali scriptural language. So the effort that it takes Satna to make arrangements at home for a retreat, to make arrangements at the workplace to get off footnote work, and Satna then travel arrangements, then to make the effort to actually reach Satna, the retreat Satna location, and Satna then to settle in, to hear the meditation instructions and then to get Satna started in one's practice. Now that's your initial type of effort. However, this much of effort, and this effort will still be relatively weak, will not be sufficient, will not be strong enough to realize the Dhamma. So, as certain one continues to you know, practice, you know, one will sooner or later come across the hindrances. You by you know, you're all familiar with you know, those by now, and certain you know, those hindrances need to be overcome, and this requires effort, namely a so-called um, stepped-up or boosted form of effort, nikamadatu in the Pali scriptural language. So if you boost your you know, effort in the face of you know, the hindrances, then you'll be able to overcome them sooner or later. And with this, your practice will then keep moving ahead. And what is then needed is as a third form of effort, the so-called culminating effort in the Pali scriptural language given as Parakama Datu. And this is the effort that keeps increasing and ultimately leads to the realization of the Dhamma. So this is one way of describing the Incru, you know, the uh, gradual 
strengthening of effort. Now, in the course of our meditation practice, we may come across effort in a very direct manner at different points. So the overcoming of the hindrances is one such point. And then at a later point in practice, we are likely to experience what is known as the imperfections of insight. The term is somewhat misleading. Qualities such as illumination, keen and unerring knowledge is another one. And then joy is yet another one. Joy, tranquility, happiness, faith, and determined faith. And then followed by effort, bhagaha, in the Pali scriptural language. These and other uh, uh, mental factors are known as um, imperfections or are imperfections only if uh, one gets attached to them or uh, based on them, pride and conceit develops or uh, one holds to the wrong view that Nibbana has been attained already. Anyways, when one reaches this certain phase in one's meditation practice where you know, the imperfections come to the foreground of one's certain meditation, then one is likely sooner or later to notice an increase in one's sudden energy. So one has more energy available. And it is sudden then that, as described earlier on, one finds it no longer difficult to sit for an hour and a half or even two hours. So without straining, one can easily sit for an extended period of time. And not wanting to open the eyes, not wanting to look around, and sadness sometimes retreats at such a point in the practice, might even decide to forego a meal or two, because the practice is just so rewarding. Now, a retreatant at this point in the practice might also experience mm, much energy until late into the night. Some uh, retreatants have so much shatna energy that shatna they might go through and into practicing through an entire night without shatna lying down and without sleeping. So just sitting, walking, sitting, walking. Now, at this point in the practice, the energy comes naturally, and it's not so. In the end, it's not so difficult to, you know, to um, uh, 
continue practicing through you know, the night. But at other points in the practice, conditions are not necessarily the same. And if one then were to you know, force it and force oneself to you know, practice throughout the entire at night, maybe you know, assuming the full lotus posture and uh, you know, not uh, you know, changing one's posture until you know, dawn of the next morning has come, well, that would be uh, forcing things a bit too much. And that's not certain uh, balanced certain effort for sure. So when one experiences you know, this kind of an effort bhagaha in you know, Nepali, it's important not to you know, get attached to it, not to become you know, proud and certain you know, conceited. Now, when one continues with one's sedimentation practice, one is likely to experience a number of rather rewarding physical and mental formations. Various insight knowledges will be traversed, and then sooner or later, some difficult physical and mental states suddenly will come up and a retreated might find himself or herself having to face the so-called dukkhanyanas. So, you know, the insight knowledges of fatna, dukkha, fatna, suffering. Now, at times, this, the dukkha can be so uh, massive in one's satna walking meditation that one barely has the strength to do another or to take another step. And in this kind of a situation, effort is clearly required. So the effort then, the effort made to take one more step and one more step and still one more step. At that point, your legs might feel very heavy as if you have a, a weight of or some metal attached to your legs. Now, having dealt with a number of difficulties that are clearly practice certain related having overcome those and being desirous of escaping this whole range of both unsatisfactory bodily and mental formations one that might be quite eager to realize the Dhamma and at that point a rather specific experience occurs, and this can be checked in interviews as certain retreat and certain report, and there's also some evidence for this in the text itself, namely in the Kitagiri Sutta of the Majjhima Nikaya, that speaks of a a certain determination, a very strong determination that arises 
namely whatever it might take for me to realize the Dhamma that I will do and even if my blood in the body dries up and only well bones and sinews and the like remain nonetheless I will continue it's a, it's a longer uh, longer statement I'm shortening it now so that particular passage from the Kitagiri Sutta very much coincides with what actually happens in the meditation practice at a very particular place in one's certain meditation. Now, to balance out certain things, and this is important, obviously, please don't, you don't have to think that you need to practice with that kind of determination, that you sit until, or even if you're no, you're, you, uh, you lose much of your weight and uh, your blood starts drying up and so on and so forth. If uh, you manage uh, to um, practice with, let's say, 40 or 50% of this sudden uh, determination is still uh, pretty good. So balance, please uh, hear this uh, balance of effort is important. Now, at this particular point in our meditation practice, the effort tends to be somewhat unbalanced, and at times in excess, at times deficient. And so what is required of a retreatant is to get the effort right. And that is done by way of trial and error. So at times one might overdo it and realize this is not working. With too much effort one gets restless, too little effort one falls asleep and suddenly gradually the mind will then find just the right amount of effort. And as one's meditation then continues, one, mm, one's effort will come naturally, retreat, not only this, but uh, energy seems to be flowing, seems to mm, become accessible, and suddenly with this, then the effort becomes effortless effort. Obviously, retreatants very much like that kind of effort. At that point, the sitting posture will naturally be upright and suddenly relaxed and still. You no longer have difficulties to sit upright and suddenly still. Now, since, uh, as usual, we're already mm, somewhat advanced in time and there's still more uh, that could and should be mentioned, I'll keep that for the next Dhamma talk on effort, namely part two, and allow me to conclude 
near today's Satya Dhamma talk by wishing me in the course of your meditation practice, may you discover for yourselves what effort is actually what effort is, what its nature is, and certainly then where to where and how to use this effort skillfully, and may you keep paddling on your makeshift raft from moving away from mental defilements and ultimately may you reach the safe shore of the liberation from all mental defilements. And this is it for today. Yes, okay. So, let's hear Jim. Uh, the question relates to the, um, the intelligence in the effort. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always regarded Vipassana practice as uh, when, when it's cultivated as a uh, have to direct knowledge and understanding of the human condition. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, um, I, I'm listening through your discussion of where are you here, um, for the intelligence in the effort that could lead the meditator to that direct understanding. So let me just give you a sort of simple example here. Um, Supposing during the course of my practice, uh, greed arises, craving for food. I want more food. More food than I need. Uh, If my effort is directed at burning up and consuming the greed, sure enough, my mind is no longer afflicted by it, but I will also have lost the opportunity to see what drives that greed. So for example, just as an example, maybe that greed for food is driven by a fear of starvation, which I've inherited, let's say, from my parents, who may have lived through poverty. I will never know that if I burn up the greed at that moment, so it never arises again. The understanding is, it seems to me, so much more important uh, than eliminating in the moment the greed. It's standing in front of the greed long enough to understand what its origins are, it seems to me, is more important. See, it's it's not a matter of eliminating that greed for food. Once and with that, it's gone forever. 
greed is a mental state that will be sticking around for quite some time. And you'll have plenty of occasions you know, to you know, look at this certain greed, certain you know, for food, you know, which is motivated you know, by you know, your you know, parents uh, um, having experienced certain you know, greed, certain you know, starvation. And, uh, and so there will be plenty of you know, those occasions coming up and certain occasions when prior or let's say in the course of a meal one loses one's mindfulness and then this greed comes up eventually one recognizes to be mindful one recognizes that one is no longer mindful and then one can look at this greed for food and so the continuity of mindfulness that's in order to assure the continuity of mindfulness, we need certainly uh, the effort. No, so I don't think you know, that uh, in actual you know, practice um, that uh, we deprive ourselves of uh, uh, clearly you know, getting to see you know, the nature of greed for food. Because it will come up uh, uh, again and again. Well, it just seems to me that it, 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 it's more than push-pull, or, or uh, it, that there's a kind of multi, uh, there's a quality that's required in the effort. More intelligence is required so that I can understand clearly what the origins are of this hindrance that's in front of my mind at this moment. Mm. Oh. my effort is entirely to eliminate it, uh -huh. um, then it seems to me I've lost the opportunity. It's, uh, no, 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 Jim. Mindfulness practice is uh, for sure a gradual uh, uh, path. And uh, so a path of gradual development is not uh, that things are you know, happening in an abrupt uh, manner. And uh, you know, so in the course of, uh, our, you know, uh, of our meditation practice, you know, well, you know, this... Uh, this greed will come up on you know, many occasions and uh, you know, then um, we'll take a closer look at it. It disappears temporarily. We abandon it temporarily and suddenly you know, it's gone for a while and sooner or later when the next delicious meal comes, the greed is back and uh, you'll have another chance to look at it. And uh, with other... With other mental, you know, mental factors, mental defilements, it's you know, the same thing. It would be nice if it would take you know, maybe just one moment of intense looking at ignorance and then all of the ignorance is gone once and forever. That would be nice, but uh, that's uh, not the way it happens. Thank you. Uh, no. Even the Buddha uh, uh, had to work really hard to eradicate ignorance and all of the other hindrances. Yeah, and I think you're suggesting he had lifetimes of development. Mm, not that included. Not just the six years. Yeah, not only not only those six years, as uh, said, he practices and you know, and certainly followed by uh, well mindfulness certain practice, but certain also uh, previous uh, during previous existences. Uh, no. Any other questions? Yes, when? I, just a brief question. Um, I've, I've always liked the word ardor in the study. It has a particular 
heartful flavor to me. And I, I'm wondering if in your translation of that word, you, you didn't suggest that um, ardor is different than effort. Uh, in, I think in what I understood mm -hmm. what you just said. And I'm, I'm just wondering if, if it has a just um, ardent, the basis, ardor. Yeah, same. Same in that, in that sense, and so, um, but different from the ardor, uh, in, in in terms of, uh, don't you use the word ardor, or uh, also in, when one falls in love with someone, and then there's, one uh, uh, is what ardently in love with someone, or, <laughs> yeah, you say like this, okay, and uh, so it's not that kind of. Uh, uh, meaning, of course, no. There is you know, some. Uh, there's a certain degree of being passionate about certain, you know, something, but it's not uh, you know, the matter of falling in love, but uh, uh, falling in love with the rise and fall and uh, and other predominant <laughs> <laughs> objects of observation. Uh, no. So I would, uh, you know, just like you're saying, taking ardor and certain uh, then effort, energy, and certain perseverance, etc., to be synonymous terms. So if ardor works for you, then use that term. The Buddha has indeed, you know, atapa means means ardor. No, or ardent effort, ardent energy, it's being translated in uh, slightly different ways. Uh, no. Yes, Venerable Damadina. Um, Atapi is related to tapas, which at the same time we get in English as tepid. It's all related to heat. So the, ah. it's like um, tapasya is an ardent burning. There you go. <coughs> Yeah, yeah, that's uh, no, that's a no, 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 good uh, no, good point. No, and that's probably no, why no, the Buddha used that word uh, no, because there is that that notion of burning in it, uh, but not sitting close to a fire, but rather the burning up of uh, no, the mental defilements. No. Any other questions? If not, then that's all for tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.